Oh, good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you guys are with us today as we can actually wrap up our series, I Love My Church. And today we talk about uh, one of the reasons we love our church is because it's a place of hope and uh, something that we could all use. One of the reasons we have that kind of hope and the church is able to offer that hope has a lot to do with our memory verse for the series. And so uh, just to take a moment and we'll... Uh, Remind ourselves of that a little bit, and then we'll get into the rest of the message. So here you go. Say it along with me. Three, two, one. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 1 Corinthians 3.17. Awesome. You've been practicing. All right. Let's just remind ourselves to test ourselves one last time. Here we go. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple 1 Corinthians 3.17. Awesome. Now, if for some reason you haven't really had a chance to memorize that, on your connection card is one of those Bible memory verses and uh, cards, and I encourage you to take that with you today and remind yourself of this. Now, remember that the reason that we have a temporal is to connect with, uh, for God to connect with his people, right? And uh, we'll talk a lot about that today, what it means. Now, if you have your Bibles, you want to open them to the very last portion of Matthew 28. In fact, we're going to be in the last paragraph there has to talk a little about that and the purpose of that temple right uh that that the reason that uh that god temples in this world wasn't so that he could be with people because god is everywhere he's he's already with all of humanity the reason he put temples there is so that people have a place to come back to him that's why he created temples and that uh, he allows us to be that temple that really is one of the primary reasons of the church right to help the world connect back with god and that, right there at his heart, speaks to the hope that God has for this world and the reasons that we have hope. Now, we need hope, but think about other things you might need. Um, we need food, right? Now, how long do you think you could live without food? Yeah, 100 days. Yeah, that's a lot longer than I'd want to, right? Uh, I've, I've learned to fast a couple of years ago. Uh, I started the practice of that, fasting and praying, and, um, and I thought maybe I could go maybe an hour or two uh, that wouldn't be too hard but then a meal was tough and then going a day was a real stretch 30 hours I thought you know at first I was probably going to die right um, but as God helped me slowly develop that I learned that I need food and when I don't have it uh, yeah I definitely can sense that, that you're not having it but I didn't need it as much as I thought but we still need it right people need food they need nourishment how about water yeah you need water a lot more. Yeah, three days. Yeah, you read the book. Uh, yeah, without water, we die pretty quickly. And uh, that's an important thing. Uh, we get thirsty pretty quick. Cell phones, I think, is something that oftentimes people think they need. Maybe they don't quite so much. But if you take somebody's cell phone away now, especially I, I'm coaching football, and it's amazing, like, we'll have like, a two-hour practice. And the first thing, like, right before practice, the kids are on the phone. And one of the first things they do right afterwards is they check to see what they miss, right? Uh, and if you ever lost your cell phone for a little while, there's a sense like we have this, this sense like we have to have these things, right? Where do those desires come from? Well, I think the reason like for, for cell phones, I think it's a sense of longing, right, f of connecting. Like we as people were designed for connection, and it's probably the easiest way <laughs> to be able to get that. Um, but really there's a desire deep down to have that food obviously and water we're, we're moral beings that god designed us to have those things and that's why we sense our need for them we're drawn to it well there's another thing that humans sense that we need and that is hope that if you you might be able to live for a few days without water 
but you're not going to be able to to live at all without hope. In fact, if you once you remove hope from a person, it's amazing how quickly they die. And I got I learned that uh, when I was uh, in Bible college, and I got to be a hospice chaplain for a little while. And you know, when somebody just loses just the hope to live, how quickly they pass. But if there's no hope for any type of recovery or anything to get better, how quickly we as humans we we become depressed. We we just lose life within us. Now we need hope very deeply. And I think for that reason, just like with cell phones, like people oftentimes get addicted to these things or food or for water or what other things that people get addicted to, the, the very thing that they think that they need. I think we as humans, we have this addiction to hope and we try to find it sometimes in not healthy ways. And oftentimes I find that in culture, in our world, just as humans, we try to find hope in external things that are fickle and can change. So it could be like uh, this last year, Think of how many people put their hope in, in politics, right? And, and uh, that's one of the reasons why people got so upset uh, as things were happening and they got mad at neighbors and friends and family members, right? They had their hope in, in some type of political thing or some type of, of uh, a solution to what they thought the world needed in order for it to be right. Or sometimes people put their hope in the economy, right? We saw that happen in 2008 when things, the, the bubble burst and all this, and so many people were distraught and anxious and all those things. Or if you've gone through a time where really finances, just like the, the ground fell out in spite of it, right? And, and how oftentimes that just destroys people. In the 1920s, how many people even committed suicide over, because their hope was in finances or an economy. Or sometimes it could be through friendships, right? Connection. But think how quickly that can be taken away. I mean, who would have thought you know, just a little over a year ago that we would have been forced to be in isolation away from all of our friends and family members for over a year. Like, sometimes our hope in things in this world, even when they seem certain, isn't good. And we get drawn to those things and we're taken away, we become despairing. Which is why I think this year we've seen so much anxiety and depression. I've done more pastoral counseling in the last year than probably the first, last, well, probably the last 10 years together. I mean, it's amazing the need that's out there. Because when our hope is challenged, is taken away, there's this vacuum, there's this, there's this loss of, of contentment. There's something that we need and it's missing. Well, good news for you, that we have a better hope. In fact, the book of Hebrews, it even says here, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Unlike this world, unlike politics, unlike the economy, unlike all these other things, God is faithful. We have a different kind of hope. In fact, he's the source of the only type of reliable hope there's ever been. Now, we could count on him. And, and really, because of that, because we have hope, and a hope that's not going to disappear, right? a hope that's not going to let us down, we have the capacity to do something for this world that really no one else in the world has the ability to do. Right? Political parties try to, to offer hope all the time, right? If you do these things, then, then we'll make your life better. And then we hope they're not lying to us, right? And we hope that they'll make the change that they were. We have economists that tell us, you know, we try to find a hope, and they try to offer hope. But ultimately, we're like, you're promising through market forces that you really don't know, you can't understand. Even our own health, right? We follow health experts and things like this, and, and it's good to do so. But how often do people follow all those things and still get sick, right? Or have a truck hit them or something, right? Uh, our hope 
is, is something that the, everywhere else in the world, we are just offering something that's really not ours ultimately to give. But the church is different. We have a hope that we can hold to unswervingly, a hope that is not going to let us down because it's a hope that has nothing to do with us. And therefore, we have the ability to offer something to the world that no one else can, a basic human need. I think it's one of the reasons why you get to that Matthew, hopefully I gave you plenty of time to get in your Bibles to that, Matthew 28, right, 19 through 20. It's a great commission. If you've ever been there, it's a, what the ends of the Gospel of Matthew, it's where everything kind of led up to this. This is where Jesus made disciples, he saved the world for this purpose, and now he sends us out, that's why it's called a commissioning, and it's for us, it's for all of his disciples. In fact, it begins, it says, uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, go make disciples of all nations. First he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them how to obey everything I've commanded you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That Jesus came to the disciples and said, I, I, I brought you here for a reason, and he's given us one command. And in the English, it's a little bit muddy because our verbs are not quite the same as the Greek. But in the Greek, there is one command, there's one imperative, one command that Jesus gives, and that's to make disciples. And then he tells us how to do it. Go and you baptize and you teach. That, that was kind of the, the way that he, he called us, what he called us to do. And in this, I want to say there's four ways that, that God has called the church, even this passage, and we can see what God was doing in his disciples, that he wants us to be agents of hope for the world. And the first way that he wants us to do that is to offer salvation. That's one of the reasons a church exists, is to bring salvation to the world, right? Not to wait for the world to come to us and say, hey, we've got this for you, but to help to go and to make disciples, to bring salvation to the world. You know, that's the hope, ultimately, that we hold unswervingly to, is the gospel, right? That, that is the hope that's never going to let us down, is the gospel. And what is the gospel? It just means good news, right? Our hope is actually something great. But that good news started with really bad news, right? We've all sinned. We're all, we all deserve God's wrath. That's bad news, that, that we were separated from him, dead in our sins. But here's, here's some good news. Here's the gospel. We, you can even read it most clearly in Ephesians 2. It says that we can be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus as our Lord. You're saved by grace through faith. Saved. You didn't have to save yourself. God rescued you. And that is amazing. That's really, really good news. But that's not even the best news. Because it goes on to Ephesians, if you read that, in Ephesians says that, yeah, we're saved by God's grace through faith, right? But then it goes on to say, and not by works. How wonderful is that? That God didn't save us by saying, well, if you believe in me and if you also do all these other things just, just right, then I will save you. Because, because I know me, my hope isn't very good in that because I would mess it up. And if you're honest, you would too. Right? If, if we would really come down to it, that, that if it was all just hinging upon what was I was going to do, what if I just messed up and lost it? But the, best, the better news is not just that I can be saved by God's grace through faith, but that, that God is the one who saves me. And it's by grace through faith. And in Romans chapter 1 and 2, it goes on and saying, and actually it's not just, not just good works, it's not anything else. It's not Jesus plus anything that our salvation is based upon. That we offer a hope, a salvation to the world that has nothing to do with human performance is amazing. That's much better news you're going to get anywhere else. 
But even that's not the best news. The the best news is what Jesus told Nicodemus in chapter 3 of of the Gospel of, of John. It says this, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The best news is not just that we're saved, that God, but that God saves us. And God saves us because He loves us. God's not just like some really awesome guy who's like, well, I guess I have to save Aaron, but I don't really want to, but because I'm good, I guess I have to do it. Before I begin a time, God knew me and even knew my brokenness. He said, I want, I want to save him. I love him. He said the same thing about you. It brings him great joy to restore fellowship with you. That God's not up in heaven saying, well, I hope they don't really don't make it. I'm going to put all these barriers. I'll do my thing, but I'm going to make it hard for them to come home. He's not that way. And God didn't show up in this world to condemn us, to show us how bad we were, that Jesus could have came as a mighty conqueror, which ironically enough is what we were hoping for. We were hoping as he come back as this mighty conquering Messiah, right? Who would destroy all the bad people, not realizing that we are all the bad people. But he didn't. God didn't send his son of the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And why did God have to send his son of the world, by the way? What well, has to do with, with, with the fact of how we sin. Like God's given us one life. I, I was at Ravencrest earlier this week, and I got to describe this again. I, I think it's the second time I really like to teach this lesson. It's important. It's so important that we get it. That God's given you one life. That's it, right? It's all you got. And sin has a value, has a cost to it, and it costs one life. It's like there's like a sin shop, and the devil's standing there, and you're like, walk up to it, and you're like, hey, I've got my life that God gave me. I have my, my one life bill. And the devil's there, and he's like, hey, would you like some sin? And you're like, one sin, please. And he's like, okay. That'll cost one life. And so you make the transaction, and we do. And now we've got this sin. Spill it all over us. Now we're all stained, and we don't have any more life. We've, we've forfeited it. We have none. But I know you're like me. We're sin junkies. We keep going back to that little sin stand all the time. We're like, one more sin, please. And you're like, one life. And you're like, I don't have any more. And they're like, well, we'll put it on your account. And if you're like me, you've probably sinned more than 10 times, probably more than 100 or 1,000. And this is why God had to come to this world, because if there was just another perfect human, some nice guy who said, Aaron, I really like you, and I know that you, know, you have this debt, right? Here, here's my life. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you mine. I'll forfeit it on your behalf. It wouldn't pay off my debt. It wouldn't even pay off a small portion of my debt. He'd just forfeit his life too. For what? For nothing? That's why God had to come into this world. Because God's not like us. He's not a person that just has one life. God has infinite life. He's got deep pockets. And when God showed up into this world, he had the capacity to pay off my debt. Something that I never would have been able to, ever. That God sent his son into the world, not to condemn me, but to save me, because he's the only one that could. Now, I've sinned a lot. But I haven't sinned infinitely yet. And neither have you. Neither has all of humanity. And that's why Jesus was able to pay the price that no human could. That is why that we are able to, to be able to say and act for it. says salvation is found in no one else. 
For there's no under name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no teacher, there's no prophet, there's no other human that had the capacity to pay our debt. But here is this thing. God had the capacity, the deep pockets to be able to pay for our sins, but he didn't have the ability to make the transaction. God is immortal. How can he forfeit his life? How could he lay it down? Which is the brilliance of Christ. Why God had to do what our minds couldn't even comprehend, that the immortal God became mortal so he could make the transaction on our behalf. And when he died, he paid the penalty. He paid the price. He paid the debt for any and all who would receive it by faith. And of course, he overpaid because he paid an infinite life for a finite sin. So he got his change back. And this is the one part of math that I like. Infinity minus anything is still infinity. Which is why he was able to raise again and why we continue to have, we don't live in jeopardy. Why my salvation is not based upon how good I am from the moment I'm baptized, which some Christians have actually thought that's how it worked. They were worried like, oh, I I was saved and then I was baptized and then I sinned again. And now I've got to go back and I've got to have more confession and, and more, uh, I've got to make sure that I'm, I'm taking my communion again and doing all these things to make sure that I'm sacrificing Christ on my behalf again so I can be saved again because I might lose my salvation if I sin again. No, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all, past, present, future, all of it, all of it, forever. If you walk out of here today and you make a turn onto that crazy street and a big truck is going to hit you and you say a cuss word and then, the, and then it kills you, you're not losing your salvation. That God saved you. That's amazing. And there's no one else that can do this. Which is why it's so amazing that we get to be God's temple. We can show the world that there is a way. And it's not just like some wishful thinking kind of hope. God showed up. Our religion is not written by other people. Hearsay, this is what God is like. God showed up and said, here I am. And he proved it to us. He proved it by prophecy. He proved it by miracles. He proved it by casting out demons. He proved it by raising himself from the dead. And he didn't do any of this in a closet. He did none of this in secret. He did it all very, very publicly. And history cannot be explained any other way. And so... Salvation is ours and it is found in a real person and a real God who really showed up in real time and in real space who pays off our real sin forever. (laughs) But guess what? That's great news. The next verse from this, this is what it says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. It's not just that he did it. It's that It's that. It's not just that, oh, it's out there philosophically. It's that this is the reality in which we live. That God doesn't just pick and choose, oh, you came to my faith, well, then maybe I like you enough, I'll let you my kingdom. He loves you already. And he called us and everybody, not just most, not just some, but all who come to him by faith will be saved. And that passage then goes on to say, but how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? There is a reason God brought the temple. The world needs to hear. We are the beacon of hope for humanity. And we don't do any favors to our world or for God's kingdom if we 
if we stay in a quiet little holy huddle, enjoying the best news ever while the world dies without hope. This is why Jesus said, go. Baptize, bring people to faith. There's a reason we exist. And one of the main reasons we exist is to bring the best thing ever that people can know they don't have to be separated from God. That's why I like our take five, right? We have our take five initiative that we're doing as a church, be able to be generational, transformational disciples. It's not just words that we say. We're putting action behind that and faith into that. And do you know how many of these take five things that we have that are, have to do with actually being a beacon of hope to our community and to our world, to bringing God's hope into this lo- world? Let's look at this very first one. Pray five days a week. And you know what we do every Wednesday we pray for? Our community. That we actually get to talk to God on behalf of the people that we live around. And we have hope for people that don't even hope for themselves. That we pray on, on Thursday for five people that we know who need to know Jesus, who need to have a church home, that need to have a better hope. We talk to God individually for people every single week. Every year we're bringing friends here so that they can connect in a better community, a living community. They can connect to the hope of God. We're serving as a church, using our gifts and our abilities to be able to serve our community, to bring, to allow doors to open up into people's lives so that they can know that God actually loves them. Now, every one of these five, it's bringing hope into the world, it's bringing hope through our lives into this world that needs it so much. What a privilege. Our lives are good news. Your life is good news. And so we bring this hope to the world. But it's not the only thing the church brings. It's not just that we bring salvation and that's it. You see, in that passage, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, right? To baptize and all that. But he didn't end there. You see, the second thing that we have is that we bring identification to this world. So many of us are just, are, are wonder, like, that is really the crisis of our age, isn't it? Identity crisis. Who am I? Like people that don't even know what gender they are anymore. They have no idea who they are or what they're supposed to be. But God does. And he gives us a deeper identity than our culture ever could give, than our DNA could ever give. See, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, make disciples. He calls us into something bigger than ourselves. That we get to be born again into his family. That God has given us a new identity in Christ that supersedes anything else of these, these uh, ways that, that as humans we've tried to create identity. We do identity all the superficial things, right? What you look like, what your genetics are, what your economics are, all those kind of things. is how we identify people and we classify them. And God first says, I'm giving you a new spirit. I'm giving you a home. I, you are my child. And in that... There's a new way. We're a new kingdom, a new people. He's built us into a new temple, something amazing. That's why our church, and really the church of Christ, has never been called just to make converts. And how small would that be to just give people a, a fire insurance policy? How dumb is that? We give hope. We give a new way of living, a new life, a new community, right? Everything that God has for us is amazing, and we get to offer all of it in its fullness. We don't just bring people to faith. 
Jesus said, go and make disciples, and part of that was to teach them how to obey everything he commanded. It's not living a life that's like, oh, I've got to obey Jesus. Like, I, I get to learn a new way of living that's just so much better than trying to figure it out on my own. That God has, has shown us, he's peeled back the curtain, and he showed us how the world works. How, how we were designed to be, how the Spirit was, was meant to operate. And we can now follow that. We don't have to do trial and error forever. We have a better way. And we follow Christ in this. And here's the thing, that, that, that we are born again. We have a new community. All that's, isn't that what the purpose of baptism is? As we express in faith this new life that we have? But doesn't the best life in Christ actually happen after the baptism? Doesn't it happen in community? As the person grows in faith? Your happiest day in your life was not your birthday, was it? That was a weird day that you cried on. Like everything changed. All of the things that you thought you were, were true about reality up until that point changed in an instant, didn't it? And then somebody smacked you. Isn't that the world? We... We don't bring people to, to faith and then and make a convert and be like, that's your greatest day as, your, as, as a Christian. That's not your greatest day as a Christian. That's a weird day. It's a good day. It's a happy day, but it's strange. But the best is always yet to come. In discipleship, God works in us. In fact, that's the next thing of hope that we bring is sanctification. That God changes us as we follow him. He does what we cannot do. In this church, we have testimony, not just of salvation, but of lives changed. I can go through in my life alone how God is transforming me, how I am not the same person that I used to be, that the things that used to to hold me down, that the things that I used to be stuck in are not the ruts that I'm in today. And it has nothing to do with willpower and me being good enough or anything like that. That my God is growing peace in me and joy in me and patience in me and gentleness in me and kindness in me and goodness. And he still has some work to do. And he's still doing that work. I'm growing up in faith. And the man I'm becoming is, is so much greater than the man I ever thought I could have been. And God is doing that in you in your hardships, and your brokenness, and in your joys as well. God is, is at work in your life transforming you. And our world needs to see that because our world thinks that transformation comes from grit and by just being, you know, stick to it in us and having the right kind of person that, that maybe kind of guide you through it. But the thing is, the world and all of religion, all those teachings are just like putting a cage around a, a, a nasty lion, right? It just cages in the bad things. It doesn't change us for the beast from the inside to be a saint. But God changes us from the inside out so we don't need cages so we can live free in this life there is a better hope here god doesn't free us from addictions and doesn't just free us from fear or free us from the anxiety or any of those types of things god transforms us deep inside so that way not only free from we never fear those things again we are the living hope of the world. People, your friends, your family members should look at your life and say there's undeniably God at work in you. And sanctification literally just means the process of being turned into a saint. God is in you. That's why, look in that last, the very last sentence of this gospel. It says, Jesus says, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why would he promise that? 
Because there's work he's doing in us that we can't do in ourselves. God is doing it. What great hope. The most fun, though, I think is this, is the church gives hope through replication. We're here for a reason. We're not the first generation Christians. I don't know if you know that. But there were people who came before us that started this church. And there were people before them who brought them to faith. And people before them that brought them to faith. And we can go all the way back to this very chapter. To this very same hilltop. This, this is where it began. And see, Jesus came to his disciples and said, make disciples. He didn't just go to the pastors. He didn't just go to the prophets. He came to his disciples and he said, I want you to replicate. Which is really good news for our community. Because it means that it doesn't stop here. God's goodness doesn't stop here. God's temple's doors are not closed. It's not as though he said, well, that's it, no more. That there is a replication of goodness and of life and of peace and of joy that God is bringing into this world. He is saving people still. He is transforming people still. And it's pretty awesome And that no matter what happens in this world, nothing is going to stop that. Look at North Korea. Look at China. As much as it might grieve big tech, no one's going to stop the gospel from growing and saving people. No one's going to stop the temple from shining the light of Christ and the hope of Christ in this world. And you are that temple. And that temple is sacred. So, I love my church. And I hope you do too. Over the last few weeks we talked about we love our church because first God loves the church. And why would we not love what God loves? But also because it's alive. We're part of a living community that's growing and active and doing amazing things. And God's Holy Spirit is alive in us and through us. But also, our, it's a place that we have purpose. And God's purpose is, is, made, is found here. That we're connected here and become alive here and we get to find our purpose. But also, it offers belonging, which we all need. We're not a gathering, we're an assembly. There's a place for you and God is putting you here. But also, it's a place of hope. Our church gives hope. In fact, truckloads full of it. So how do you apply it in your life? As we bring this series to a close, on your connection card, there's a few things I'm going to challenge you to do. The very first one is, is to memorize 1 Corinthians. Right? Th that passage there. Because the world tells you very to hate the church. The church is, is dumb. It's bad. It's in the past. No, God loves it. God's at work here. There's a reason the devil doesn't want you to connect in church. But it's not going to work. Know this, that God's temple is sacred and, and you together includes me, are that temple. God's doing something awesome here. Maybe what you want to do this week is also meditate on Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. When I say meditate, I don't mean sitting in a room going, um, I mean, think about what it says and how does it apply to your life. When Jesus said to his disciples, go make disciples, how is that true in your life? How are you going? How are you helping people come to faith? How are you helping them grow in faith? How do you grow in faith? Spend some time with God's word, really thinking about it. Don't just listen to those words. They're meant for us, for you. Maybe what you need to do is join our membership class. They're just this afternoon at 2 o'clock right here. If you need to connect in a good, healthy, living church, we invite you to become part of us. And to come to the class, we'll talk about who we are, what we believe, how we're structured, all those types of things, and how you connect. Maybe that's what you need to do. Something else I'm going to challenge you to do is don't just stop coming to the series right here. There's another series starting next week. It's called Perspective. And we're going to talk about some big picture things, finding our purpose in the big picture, actually. Next week, we're going to talk about the purpose of life on earth, which is kind of a small topic. And then after that, 
the purpose of heaven and earth. And after that, was Scripture teaches us is the purpose of the new heaven, new earth. And honestly, when you see God's purpose of what he's doing, you will not be able to be discouraged after that. It's, it's amazing what God is up to. So I encourage you, come join us for that. You know something else you may want to do? You saw earlier on, we have a mission trip going on, on over Memorial Day weekend to Nebraska. It's not very far away. We're in a car, car, caravan with our cars out there. We stay on a little camp. It's a, it's a Bible camp for teenagers um, that uh, was run by uh, a gal who actually graduated and, and was one of our members. Her and her husband are missionaries now in that camp, and they had COVID. We shut them down for a while, and now they're opening back up. And, and young people find faith in Jesus every year, year there. But they need some help getting it ready now because it's been a year that it's been kind of shut down. So we're going to go over there. We're going to paint the, the girls' dorm. and uh, So it looks nice. And we're going to fix a few things, small things around the campus and make sure it's all ready for them. So we're going to leave on Friday. And then, then there's Saturday, Sunday, Memorial Day weekend. We're going to come back on Monday. So two days of work on that. It costs us $100, which includes all your food, a, a gasoline, all of the tra- all the lodging, everything, plus all of our materials because we're going to buy our own stuff. It covers all of that. Really inexpensive uh, we invite you to come join with that. So if you would like to be part of that, let us know. Or you can come back at noon, and I'm going to have Sloppy Joes, and we're going to talk about the details of the trip. So if you want to be part of that, it's another way of doing hope. All right. I'm done with my time, but let's not be done worshiping God. So help connect those connections, those next steps. Write those down at the end of this message. Would you drop them in the offering box at the back of the, the room there, along with your tithes and your gifts. Make those expressions of your faith to God, this amazing God who gives us great hope. As we make those commitments, let me just pray uh, for us as uh, we dedicate ourselves to him. Let's pray. Father God, you are the God of all creation. You are the God of all sovereignty. You own everything. And Lord, you uh, are the God of all righteousness. And Lord, we have been unrighteous and we really did deserve your wrath and, and still do. And yet, Instead of giving us your wrath, you gave us your love and your mercy and your grace. And you came and you paid the penalty in our behalf. And in so doing, you've given us a better hope, knowing that our salvation is rests firmly in your hands, not our own. And you've given us in that then a better future and a better calling. Lord, that now instead of being people that build our own little kingdoms on this world in a temporary way, Lord, we could build your eternal kingdom and not just here, but into the hearts, into the lives and the spirits of those who will go on to live forever. Lord, thank you for that. But as, as we live as agents of hope in this world, Father, I pray today in this congregation, those that are here today, that you would, would guide us in how to apply that goodness into our lives this week whether it's memorizing scripture or reading and meditating on it, if it's applying it, if it's joining this church as a family, Father, you would direct us. Help us to live lives that bring your hope into this world in a greater, fuller way. And Lord, I pray as we do that, that you would receive glory because you, you are the only one to whom it, it really is, uh, it belongs. And Father, uh, we love you. And so we ask that all of these things, as it brings you glory, would also be an expression of our love back to you, the love that you showed us in Christ. So, Father, we offer this to you today out of love. In Jesus' name, amen.